Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode. We have Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, Dr. Z, Jamie, and she is a Philadelphia-based licensed clinical psychologist in private practice. She focuses on the treatment of adults with mood disorders, anxiety, and adjustment to medical illness. In addition, Dr. Zuckerman specializes in the relationship difficulties of those involved with narcissistic partners. She's a media contributor to several online publications, including Vogue, Elle, Shape, Women's Health, and The Washington Post. Dr. Zuckerman has been a guest expert on various TV news stations, including CBS3 Philly, PHL17, Fox 29, and Daily Mail TV. She's also a board member of the Epilepsy Foundation of Eastern PA and is a frequent presenter for the for the both the EFEPA, the Dravet Syndrome Foundation. This was a really interesting conversation, something that we haven't had yet on the show. Talking about narcissistic personality disorder and the difference between a narcissist and a jerk and how we usually throw that term around a little too often when it's not warranted. So let's dive into it, get right into it, understand this really misunderstood struggle and issue. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I'm so excited to have this guest on because not a lot of people are talking about this topic, but it's so prevalent in the world that we live in when it comes to how we navigate other people's personalities and its impact on us. And today we have Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, who's talking all about narcissism, narcissism personality traits, even just what it means to be a jerk and how to create those boundaries in relationships. But this is a really long topic and we're going to get into it today. So before I steal all the thunder, Dr. Jamie, Dr. Z, Jamie, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist outside of Philadelphia. Uh, I work with adults who present with anxiety, depression, um, medical illnesses, and also I work with many people who are either currently involved or have recently gotten out of relationship with somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder and help them kind of navigate their their relationship and their world after their relationship's over. It just interests me. I always like to ask this question when it comes to mental health professionals, why they get into either the profession itself and then the niche or niche still can't figure out what to say that mm-hmm. like, so what led you into being a psychologist? And then on top of that, how'd you get into this? Cause that's a really from personal experience of working in this field and dealing with people who struggle with narcissistic personality disorder or have some traits, um, it's not so simple. It's pretty, pretty hard work. Yeah. Um, so psychology in general, um, I was fascinated with the brain, not therapy, not personality stuff, just the actual brain itself. Um, and kind of was a dork brain person, um, wanted to go into neurology, neuropsychology, something brain related. Um, and then took some time off after college and worked in advertising because that has obviously a lot to do with what I was interested in. And then decided to go back to grad school for psychology and just somehow um, became more fascinated with the, kind of the role that the brain plays in anxiety and depression and things like that. So um, started out as a brain geek and then transferred to a kind of therapy 
geek. <laughs> um, and then as far as how I got into what I got into, um, I, 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 there wasn't like a defining point. I, I worked in a neurology practice for a while. So I was getting a lot of patients that had um, epilepsy, who I still actually see a lot of patients with epilepsy. I work for the epilepsy. I'm on the board of the Epilepsy Foundation. So I, I tend to get a lot of people um, with neurological like adjustment to neurological issues. But the, when I started really just focusing on private practice a couple of years ago, a lot of mostly women, but men too, but a lot of the women that I started seeing were coming in because they had anxiety and depression. No one was coming in saying, I am with a narcissist. Um, in fact, they didn't, wouldn't even know what it was. And so I would start hearing these similarities in these women talking about their significant others. And it, the, the abuse they were enduring and the, the manipulation were, were very textbook. And it, it was just one day. I just, I think this just this all sounds like narcissism. And I'm like, but that can't be, that can't be right. That's like too many people. <laughs> and so I started asking them very specific questions and it just kind of grew from there because then, um, I guess that, you know, kind of word got out, but it's kind of who I was seeing. And so more people started contacting me and then um, you know, during the pandemic, especially when people are home with their spouses or significant <laughs> others and they can't get out of the house and they can't escape, um, because with, with narcissistic personality, you're never leaving the relationship, you're escaping the relationship. So no one could escape. And it just got larger and larger and larger. And I think that from there, it just grew and people that didn't know what it was, couldn't put a label on it, thought they were crazy. Um, thought it was just them or now seeing that there's patterns that, that you know, they can see objectively to them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it got started. Well, can we and just jump demands for it? Yeah. And then can we jump back for a second? What are the statistics, right? If it's, if it's you do looking at it and going, Oh my gosh, this can't be yeah. real. This can't yeah. be so many people. And I mean, there might not be real data on that, but yeah. just from your maybe anecdotal, is it as common or uncommon? Is it rare? What is your thought process on that? So statistically speaking, I think it was like one in 2%. It was very, very minimal. But what people have to understand is that to track an accurate percentage of narcissism in the community, you're getting a really, really kind of um, biased number because people with narcissistic personalities that are not presenting for treatment, no. they're getting diagnosed kind of almost secondhand through their partners. So um, I don't really go by the statistics <laughs> on, on that. Um, I think it's massively underdiagnosed. I think it's extremely misunderstood. Um, and I, I don't, I think that it's way more prevalent than, than people realize. So I have so many questions because I've dealt with people who show symptoms, show signs. And as a therapist, I'm like, I don't want to put that, like, I don't want, like, I'm so afraid not to diagnose because I'm not afraid to diagnose. I'm an LCSW. I'm trained. I know how I know what the signs are. The symptoms are all those things, but sometimes I don't want to do it, but can we just back up and then clarify what does it mean to have narcissistic personality disorder versus having narcissistic traits versus just being a butt face jerk? So I'll start with the butt face jerk. <laughs> butt face jerk is somebody who can be a jerk just to their employees, but when they, cause they hate their job, but go home and they're great to their 
you know, their significant other, their kids, or they're in a bad mood one day. So they're a jerk to the person at the supermarket. They have tendencies to not be able to regulate their emotions in the moment. So they tend to kind of fly off the handle a little bit quicker, let's say, than some other people. So I think with a jerk, it can be more of they didn't sleep well, or they have a tendency to just kind of fly off the handle a little bit quicker than, let's say, most other people. Um, Or they grew up in an environment where, you know, the parents didn't get along well, and let's say that there was these blow up arguments. And so that's what they were used to. So that's what they use. But the difference is, is that you can be a jerk in one situation and not in another. And it's not like you're lying about it. You could have certain things that triggers you, trigger you in certain situations that makes you respond through your unhealthy patterns. But that doesn't mean you can't bring awareness to it. And the key difference is people who have unhealthy, toxic relationship patterns, but do not have a personality disorder. It may be uncomfortable for somebody to bring your patterns up to you and to change because change like sucks for everybody, but you're able to see that you're able to feel badly that you have put other people in distress or that you have in some way harmed your relationship and you want to do things to make it better. You want to do the work or you have the awareness of it, but it's just too difficult. And so you don't want to do the work. It's the awareness of it. That's key. Your, your awareness of, of your behavior in relation to others. Mm-hmm. And it's episodic. It's not like this chronic pervasive style, whereas a personality disorder is a chronic, unrelenting, pervasive personality style through every single aspect of your life. It doesn't waver. It doesn't go up, go down, get worse, get better. They may pretend to be loving. They may pretend to be helpful and trustworthy, but it's an act they're playing a role because they need their needs met in a certain situation. So they'll do whatever they need to do to get their need met. But at baseline, it's a pervasive personality style and a very toxic one. Mm -hmm. So for a a layman, normal, regular person um, who's dealing with people on a day-to-day basis, of course, the momentary thing, right? Um, Sometimes I recently flew and I get anxious. And sometimes when I'm anxious, I kind of get a little snippy. But I'm not a disgusting human being who's selfish and nasty and mean all the time. But for a normal person, how do you tell the difference between seeing that act versus maybe noticing that it's momentary? How do you navigate that as a regular person who might not be able to see the signs as you or I as a professional in our offices or in our relationships? How is that differentiation practically? Yeah, no, good question. So if you're seeing somebody randomly, like once a week or once every two, you're, you're may, you may not notice because superficially, if somebody's being cooperative with you, there's no reason for you to think that they have a pervasive personality style. It's when you spend more consistent, ongoing time with the person that you begin to see their pattern. And one of the ways that you can tell you know, let's, we'll take dating, for example. One of the ways you can tell if you start dating somebody, let's say, who's a narcissist, some of the red flags that I tell people to look for are, are they coming on very strong, very fast? You know, you hear the word soulmate in the first couple of weeks of dating. Oh my God, I've never met someone like you. You're everything. I've been waiting for you. Where you've been in my, you know, where have you been my whole life? Followed by trips and gifts. And, you know, people listening are probably saying like, well, what's so wrong with that? 
here's what's wrong with that. It sounds awesome. And would I love somebody to say that to me on a first date and buy me things and send me? Yeah, absolutely. But the problem with it and where people get lost is that how could somebody possibly be your true love soulmate when you don't even know if they're left or right-handed yet? (laughs) You don't know their parents' name. You don't know their interests or their hobbies. You have no idea what they're like when they're angry. So what are you basing this soulmate type bond on? And so what they do is they will set that, that soulmate, that illusion of that soulmate connection very early on. Um, some other signs to look for are, do they have a lot of close friends or do they have kind of a lot of acquaintances? Um, how do they speak to people in the service industry? Are they extremely condescending to them for no reason? Or are they these aggressive tippers, you know, not for the benefit of the server, but to make themselves look like, you know, they're you know, the one that, oh my God, you know, this, this, they tipped me a hundred dollars for a cup of coffee, something like that. So it's usually these extreme behaviors. They're very overwhelming. It's kind of like this fairy tale romance in the beginning. And the same thing happens for work in work too. They, if you have a boss, let's say that has narcissistic personalities that are, they may try to get you in by promising you, you know, if you work hard in two years, you could, you know, you could own shares and buy and then you, maybe we could push you up to CFO and it's called future faking. So making all these promises about the relationship to keep them in. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to ask about the sign. So I'm glad you brought it up. Um, what are some of the causes? What does the research and some of your experience show what might lead someone to either become or um, show symptoms or have symptoms of narcissism? Mm-hmm. So symptoms of narcissism are you may see in people like um people in high up very um say difficult positions like ceo of a company cfo um you know people that are just in in very um prominent positions usually have more narcissistic traits right specialists in a certain area let's say in medicine like a you know they may have but not in a bad way it's just it makes them stand out in their in their field um but as far as a narcissistic personality disorder that that's gonna that's gonna look very very different and how that develops is there's some research to show that it is there's a you know a genetic component to it but the majority of the research shows that it's very much pattern based meaning that in your upbringing, you learn to respond to your world as a child in a very particular way, usually as a way to protect yourself. And it doesn't mean you had to have narcissistic parents to end up with narcissistic personality disorder. You could it, could, it could be any type of environment where you feel nothing you do is good enough. So let's say you have very, uh, your parents have ex- extremely high expectations of you. And no matter what you do, it's set up for you to fail. So in order to make yourself feel better you kind of put on this facade that nothing bothers you and that you know what you know that or your parents treat you like the golden child and we see this a lot um i'm a huge dateline fan and so a lot of these episodes you see deal with a lot of narcissistic men and women in these and the way sometimes their parents describe them it makes me cringe because they're clearly described as golden child despite all this stuff that they've done so when you're treated as a golden child the rules don't apply to you. 
there's no consequences for your actions. You don't have to worry. You hurt someone, it doesn't matter. They get you out of it anyway. So you grow up thinking that the rules just don't apply to you. So there's a lot of pattern dynamics that can kind of result in narcissistic personality disorder. I deal with a lot of parents sometimes Sometimes over the years where they're like, oh my gosh, my kid is this, my kid is that. Are they going to be a psychopath? Are they going to be narcissistic? Are they all these big words that are so scary? Can we kind of maybe rip apart or go through some of the myths or what are the misconceptions of the overused terms that yeah. we use? Like, Because I want to make it very clear, and you can totally push back on this and give me feedback as someone who's not an expert in this world, but everyone has some type of selfish personality things that they do. Everyone has some selfish tendencies because they want to do something. They have needs, they have wants, but they have feelings and thoughts behind it. They're not doing it devoid of other people's, um, you know, ideas or personality or whatever word you want to use. So be very careful to start throwing like, oh, that person's a narcissist because they cut the line to get coffee or whatever kind of things, because we all have some type of tendencies. I remember when I was an undergrad, I had a professor, shout out to Dr. Alan Perry. Um, and he said to me, if you look through the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, you can really pick and part and go, oh, I have a little bit of this. I got a little okay. bit of that. Mix in a little bit yep. of that. Put it all together. You got me. Because we all have exactly. some little bit and tidbits of something because it's about humans. So could we kind of take away and go through some of the myths and yep. um, misconceptions about narcissism and why we kind of use it a little too often sometimes when it's not important? So, yes. Yeah, so some myths and misconceptions about narcissism is, is that the idea that people who are quote selfish or people who are, you know, just in it for themselves are narcissists or people who cheat in relationships, um, things like that, that doesn't make a narcissist. Uh, and I think a lot of times people use the term narcissist to describe selfish behaviors that have harmed them. Um, but, you know, again, that goes back to that's, that's poor coping skills, poor emotion regulation skills, poor choices based on poor relationship patterns. Whereas with a, someone with a true narcissistic personality disorder, it's not just as simple as somebody being a jerk or being selfish. It's this complete lack of awareness, remorse, or empathy towards the impact their behaviors have on other people. And, you know, somebody could, let's say, treat you really horribly in a relationship. But later on, they may realize, oh, I can't believe I did that. Let me apologize. And they do. They feel bad. They feel remorseful or they don't apologize. But in the next relationship, they're aware of their patterns and they, they work to change them to make themselves better. Whereas someone with narcissistic personality disorder, there are no patterns to make them better people. There's no desire to change. And it's not a stubbornness. It's not, a, you know, I dig my foot and I'm not changing. It's mm. an inability to see themselves as sharing their space emotionally, cognitively, physically with anybody else. Everyone around them is, is almost an object and they 
relate to that object in whatever way they need to, to get their particular need met. Everything is, is a strategic, manipulative attempt to get their needs met. Mm -hmm. The people around them are replaceable. Mm. It's a very different situation than just somebody being, an, you know, a jerk to you yeah. or something. Yeah. And I think in the social media world and, and, uh, you know, whether it's reality TV shows, Bachelor, or any of these kind of dating shows, the world of social media like jumps and attacks people, calling them narcissists and, and all these words and terms when they don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy when you see something that you don't like or you're like, huh, yep. that seems like they're a bad guy or a bad yeah. girl or they're mean. But what that does, and something that I str I struggle with as a therapist, mm -hmm. seeing this, and even the world of my family or friends, mm -hmm. we need to be very careful how we use that word. Because when we overuse it, it loses the power of what it actually means for what it's explaining. Okay. Someone and, being and, a, what yeah. and what it's explaining is something very, very significant and extremely toxic. Yes. Um, and very abusive. And you don't want to throw it around like exactly like you said, to minimize the importance of what it really is. And you also don't want people who treat relationship issues to to assume that that's narcissism as well, because it's not. So is there is there something from that perspective also? I have I have like two more bigger questions. Yeah, yeah. But is there something from that perspective that when someone jumps to label someone as a narcissist or maybe doesn't like something about someone and goes, oh, they're just narcissistic. Is there something about that person is what about that? The other partner who's jumping too quickly yeah. or blaming or throwing this term on others. Is there something about that? So I think when I when I. Yes, there is. And and this isn't going to be all the time, but sometimes it's just flat out not understanding what narcissism means. And so they figure if somebody is a selfish jerk, that they must be a narcissist. So I think one is just lack of education or proper education about what narcissism is. The other, I think, is it's a heck of a lot easier emotionally sometimes mm -hmm. for somebody to call their significant other a narcissist than to look at it as, well, maybe there was something in the relationship that didn't work for either of us and they maybe don't have the best coping skills. So they handled it this way and it hurt me. And so, you know, they're a jerk. They must be a narcissist. When in reality, it could be, again, this person has bad emotion regulation strategies or this person doesn't know how to handle conflict well. Mm -hmm. And so they handled the end of the relationship really poorly, which is, it's not justifying it. But that's also not a narcissist. I love that point. I think it's like a very good like a uh, safety net for someone yeah. who's like had a yeah. breakup. It's like, yeah. oh, but they're narcissistic. It wasn't me. They they're just terrible people. Yeah. Right. Um, it's like a very much uh like a protective factor that we like mm -hmm. jump to blame and project on someone else the issues. Well, not really project, it's a whole different thing. But then the last two bigger questions I have is okay, fine. So you've been through a really terrible situation mm -hmm. emotionally verbally, psychologically abused with being in a narcissistic relationship. Mm -hmm. Now what? How do you move forward? Yeah. So um, I, what I want people to understand is that being in a, nar being in a relationship with a, someone with true narcissistic personality disorder is a ongoing, sometimes six months, sometimes six years, sometimes 26 years, an ongoing traumatic situation. 
and I'm not exaggerating, um, the degree to which the person is emotionally, physically, sexually manipulated for years um, is an ongoing trauma constantly, which is why majority of, of people who I always say escape the relationship because it's an escape. It's the only breakup where I have ever had to work with people on an escape plan. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, by the way, the words you're using, not to cut you off, but it reminds yeah. me of like a, a cult. You know, yeah. I, I interviewed I interviewed a wonderful yes. person named Sarah Edmondson. She was in the Nexium cult. Yes. Um, yes. And I had her on the show and it just it just like my 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 hairs are tingling and yes. things in the back of my it just reminds me of like a very cult oh, mentality of pulling you in, yes. not having other resources, cutting you yes. off from life and you have to escape with yes. everything you can. Yes, what kind of people are in charge of cults? Uh, no, <laughs> a thousand percent, you know, of course. Right? But yeah. it just it's yeah. just funny that you add that. But to yeah. me, just that idea of the moving forward, the working on yeah. trust, building relationships again, trusting yourself, trusting others, yep. you know, that just is all part of it to me. It's just like flooding through me as like yeah. this connection to a very similar thing. You're a hundred percent correct. hundred percent correct. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, that's where complex post-traumatic stress disorder comes in, which is for those of you who are listening, who don't know what that means. It's, a, you know, it's not one traumatic event, maybe that, you know, results in PTSD. It's these tiny, small traumas that happen consistently over time for years where your nervous system is just trained to constantly be on edge. So not only are you constantly in a state of fight or flight, but you are also, your body is constantly like releasing cortisol and adrenaline. I mean, constantly over time, even when you're not in fear of anything, you're just in that constant state as a protective factor, which leads to a whole host of other physical and mental, you know, mental wellness conditions and heart and stomach and, you know, all of that. So it's, it's, it's very complicated. It's very traumatic. Um, and when you leave, get out, escape that relationship. I think what people on the outside don't necessarily understand is that by the time that person is out of that relationship, they have lost the majority of their social support. Um, and that was very planned from the beginning. They have lost their sense of identity. I, I have so many, mostly women who will say to me, I have no idea who I am. They don't know what kind of music they like because they were told what to listen to. They don't know what kind of foods they like because they were told what to cook. They don't know what their favorite ice cream flavors are because they were told they're not allowed to eat it. They don't know. They don't even know what their hobbies are. Like they, because all of this was stripped from them because they were so controlled in every way, shape or form of their sense of self. So and and by the way, they are. And by the way, just the examples you just used, I want people mm-hmm. to listen very carefully. That is a narcissistic relationship like that is the intensity and the extreme we're talking about yes it's not just once in a while someone snaps or has a bad day like that is the entirety manipulation of control of who and what you are the entirety of the relationship the entirety of choices it's not just oh my my husband or my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend got upset at me today and or they wanted to go to get ice cream and i wanted to go get burgers and they picked theirs and they're selfish and blah, blah, blah. like that's not the level we're talking about here so i love that you want that 
even even if you know abuse is never okay but even even i don't mean even in a minimized way but even if somebody is physically abusive in a marriage that's still not narcissism uh-huh true you that can be abusive and not have narcissistic personalities or you can have an alcohol disorder you could have major anxiety and, and you just you're angry a lot and you know a lot of times when there's a lot of anger or alcohol use you know it escalates into physical violence you grew up in an environment where that was normal so so, it doesn't make it any less good or it doesn't make it let any less okay, but exactly. it's not what not we're nice. talking about here. So then, you know, of course the journey, and I think the biggest key is to get help, right? And I'm sure um, there are organizations and there are professionals like you who are experts in this field to get help. But then, you know, not that we have that much time left, but then how do you then create those boundaries for yourself to protect yourself from the future? Or just in general, how do you create those boundaries for yourself to not have that happen to you? Yeah. And 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 not be and not be so consumed by fear in general or worried of every relationship being that, you know, now that we talked about it, now is everyone gonna go around going, Are they narcissists? Are they narcissists? Like how do we avoid that and then create healthy boundaries and relationships? Yeah. So I think that there's a couple things with this. The first is um, when you're in these relationships, you don't realize how unbelievably controlling it is until you get out of it. And you also don't realize it's happening because in, there's different stages to it. There's a love bombing stage, which we talked about to suck you in. There's the devaluing the stage, which is where they really start to just break you down make passive comments, give you silent treatments, withhold attention and affection. You have no idea why they're doing it. So you are constantly apologizing for things you didn't, you know, you don't know what you did. And then the discarding phase, which is where they don't even kind of bother anymore hiding anything. They're just mean and abusive and leave you for the person that they had waiting in the wings. And, you know, it's, it's, and it comes on suddenly, you don't know what happens. And then they'll always come back, but they won't ever come back because they miss you or love you. They come back because they're bored. They want to mess with your feelings. They just want to make sure they still have access to you. Um, it's very different. And so what I tell people who are coming out of these relationships, I strongly recommend not dating anybody, not having any type of intimate relationship with anybody for a little while, because you're coming out of this almost like you've just lived in a, on a different planet for 10, 15 years. And now all of a sudden you're on a new planet and you have to figure out how everything works and you need to figure out who you are, what you like, what your interests are. And then in addition to that, I I caution people, I kind of tell people you should be scared and cautious right now, trusting people, because here's why you still have the same exact patterns you had when you first got into it. So until we start to adjust those patterns and give you some awareness into your patterns, you should be scared because you may very well continue to gravitate, right? We gravitate towards what's familiar, even if it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have to work on your pattern. So this doesn't happen again. Are you the type of person that is very willing to put somebody else's needs before yours because you don't think your needs matter or what you have to say is irrelevant or, you know, you're selfish if you put your needs first. Let's say Mm -hmm. that's all, you know, Um, we have to work on that. Yeah. And we didn't even get to what type of person might be more uh, manipulated by narcissistic personality. But the thing that we, just a good lesson for most human beings, whether you've been in a narcissistic relationship or not, you should just be careful with people, right? The idea of trusting, trust is earned. 
right? It's not that you have to all of a sudden magically have this, um, you know, Disney-esque relationship. You know, be careful in general. You shouldn't just give everything and anything to everyone and anyone. It doesn't mean that you now need to be consumed by fear where you don't talk to people. But get help. Get someone objective Mm -hmm. to talk things through relationships. You know, I'm very big. I specialize in relationships in general. And I'm a big believer of going to relationship therapy for relationships, even if you just started dating, even if you're, if even if there's no big red flags in a relationship or in a marriage, because just having that objective person who's not blinded by love. Preventative medicine. Exactly. It doesn't have to be this. Oh my gosh, we're getting a divorce. We're in crisis. My husband or my wife is abusing me. It could be something just as simple as, you know what? I don't really trust myself. I need someone to talk to about this. That's okay too. And sometimes we are because of habits, behaviors, our experiences of our past might lead us to be a little more open to these kind of personality types or be more trusting or people pleasing in the way that we can be manipulated and used, but it doesn't mean you can't get the help. I will say this. It it is what people who are people pleasers or you put their needs second are definitely more at risk. Although it's kind of like, it doesn't discriminate really. So you could not be that way, but still get sucked into this overwhelming love bombing stage. If you've never had it before. And then you're so into it that you don't realize what, what is happening. And so Yes, people who have that are more at risk, but it really, you'd be, you would, you would be shocked at, you know, the personalities of people who get sucked into these things. They are not, you know, um, huge people pleasers. It, 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 it's very, it's that, it's that, it's, it's that, that yes. good. Like, it's that good yeah. feeling in the beginning. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, like you said, who wouldn't want to be, you know, wind and dine in the beginning of a relationship? It feels nice. Yeah. That's right. So people that don't get sucked into it are the people that have information about love bombing mm-hmm. patterns. Yes. That's why it's so important to get the education out because that's what's going to prevent you from getting into it. I love it. So um, where can people find you? But I want to back up first because I like to give um, any guest I have an opportunity to preach. Uh, so what are like one to two or three things that you would love anyone to take away from this episode or anything that you didn't get to to kind of take away? That there is 100% help available if you feel that you are in a relationship that sounds like this, even if you're not sure that there is help available. There are people that specialize in this. And I cannot stress enough that if you do need help and you're searching for a therapist um, or searching for a support group, please make sure you find somebody who understands the nuances of narcissism in the relationship. Um, because without that, a lot of times and with not on purpose, um, you know, things like, oh, we'll give it another chance. It seems like they're trying and, and that's not what you want. So make sure that you do your homework and that there are people out there who, who are well-versed in this. Um, and my other would be that you didn't do anything wrong and that you did nothing but try to survive. And if you know that you're in this type of relationship and you want to leave, understand that it is a lengthy process. You may leave, come back, leave, come back five times. It doesn't matter as long as the last time you leave is the last time you leave. I love that. So where can people find you? Where can they get the knowledge from you? And I know we're recording and the episode's going to come out in March and you have a book coming out in April. So can you talk about how can people get in touch with you a little bit about your book? And sure. uh, yeah. 
Sure. So you can find me on Instagram. It's um, Dr. Dr. Period Z underscore psychologist. I post a lot of information about narcissism and relationships, anxiety, depression. Um, and then I have a podcast that we do um, every Monday night with um, his name's JB, who I do do this with. And we talk about just every day, anxiety, depression, answer your questions, talk a lot about narcissism. And you can download that on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm trying to think where else. Um, my website, drjamiezuckerman.com. And that has links to my workshops and upcoming workshops and things like that. And then the book is very exciting. It's going to be an anxiety management workbook, but it's going to be very um, kind of less psychology, a little more user-friendly, but very behavior-based in terms of acceptance and sitting with your discomfort and, and, you know, sitting with it rather than acting on it and take it and kind of from that acceptance-based approach. So that'll be out end of April. Amazing. I already have the, the pre-order page on my Amazon right here, right? Oh, awesome. uh, Cause I love, I love books. So, uh, and I love reading people who I actually like. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. I truly appreciate all you're doing for myself to educate myself, who's not an expert, understand the world of narcissism, understand what it means to navigate relationships in general and anxiety. So I really appreciate all the work you do as a therapist and as a person. And I really appreciate you making the time today. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of the Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at the dude therapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at the dude therapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the dude therapist podcast. So we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.